climbing Jacob's ladder. What a beautiful Negro spiritual that the gospel ensemble just lift into space. You could hear that methodical sound and the droning of a people who knows what it means to suffer and knows what it means to hold God's promise in their heart. This dream of Jacob's ladder that this story tells us is, is about Jacob who is fleeing from his homeland, actually almost pushed from his homeland and in exhaustion follow, follows over a rock and sleeps for the night. And in his dream, he sees a ladder and angels coming and going, ascending and descending on this ladder. But God comes and stands next to Jacob. You can imagine the promise that was heard as this, this song was sung, that I will be with you, I walk with you, and I will return you the promise of descendants that would bless the world, the promise of an inescapable loving God. I believe this dream holds as much promise and hope for us today. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we want to experience Jacob's dream today, this vision, this vision of hope of your angels ascending and descending and us standing with you at our side. Meet us here this day. Touch our hearts, our minds, and open us to hear your word for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a question for you. What was your first image of God? What's your first recollection or your first image of God that may have been handed down to you that you can recollect? Leslie and I are starting to introduce God into Cooper and Kennedy's life. And so at night before we lay them down to bed, we have a prayer of gratitude, much like this prayer of provision this promise of provision. So we, we set them down and we teach them to put their hands there and we, we start off usually, you know, thank you God for this day and thank you God. And then they just start in for Gigi and Papa and, and they thank for their dogs and Tio and Grandpa and they just start, and if they met somebody that day, they thank God for that person. And they end it the same every night. And thank you God for everything. Amen. <laughs> I'm hoping those stories and those uh, prayers of gratitude will be a good image for my children. I can remember it sitting at the uh, table when I was growing up with my mom and dad and my three other siblings, and we had a little prayer we memorized before we ate dinner. You might remember how it goes. God is great. God is good. <laughs> Let us thank him for our food. I don't know about that prayer, but... <laughs> I reckon that Jacob, in our story today probably had prayers like that in his upbringing. For see, he comes from a lineage of, of provision, of a lineage where there was a promise from God for provision. There was a covenant that they would be a blessing, that they would be blessed and be a blessing. And so I, I assume that at meals and at bedtime that he was given this image of God. And, and a lot of us here, we, we didn't necessarily come from a place of um, faith or our families might not have given us some of those but here's what I know about this God thing we all start putting images on God as we grow up and our parents whether they like it or not have play a great role into this 
how they care for us and tend to us and help us plan our futures. Somehow or another, we take their actions and their words and we transfer it into our heavenly parent and that's kind of part of our image of the divine that we carry through the days. Now, if this was uh, happening to Jacob, he has a, a bit of a hurdle to overcome in his image for God. You see his father, Isaac, um, it was his grandfather, Abraham, that had this first promise and it was being passed down. But his father, Isaac, seemed to play uh, or lay a few conditions upon his love for his children. You see, Jacob um, is a twin and his brother Esau got out just a few seconds before him. But for Esau, it seemed to come pretty natural to please his father. So his father seemed to appreciate Esau. Esau, we're told, was a hairy man, a hunter, a man of the wild, and uh, that must have pleased Isaac. Jacob, on the other hand, had a little bit harder time getting his father's attention. The scripture tells us that Jacob was a tent dweller. He stayed among the tents. He liked to cook, apparently. And so it was a little bit harder for him to get his father's attention. So if he was casting this image onto God, his image of God would be with condition. His love, God's love would have condition upon it. And this plot thickens with his relationship with his mother, Rebecca. For uh, Rebecca, you see, Rebecca has her own vision from God when these twins are in her womb. They struggle, and they cause a great fight within her, and it causes her a great deal of pain. So she cries out to God, oh, send me some relief, and she's just really crying out to God. And God comforts her with a promise, with news. God tells her that the struggle that's within her is indicative to God's great story, that, that God will be using her two children for two great nations to bless the world. And so... She feels relieved a bit with that news, and she's also told by God that, indeed, it will not be the elder brother, Esau, that will be the stronger of the two. It will be the younger, Jacob. Now, Jacob was, um, his name actually means to grab, because when he came out of the womb, he was literally grabbing a hold of Esau's, of Esau's heel. And so, so, as you can imagine, this story that was given to his mother, Rebecca, was probably one throughout the days as he was growing up that she shared with him. I imagine at times when he was either getting picked on by his older brother or being overlooked by his dad, that this mother would use the story, God's promise, to comfort him. But you see, even that has the ability to somewhat um, distort maybe our image of God. For, for Rebecca, seem to have a hard time to even lean into this promise as the years go by. So Isaac now is growing old and his eyesight's starting to, to waver and so he realizes it's time. It's time to call in Esau to give him this blessing, to pass on. That's how they did it is they would pass on this blessing that he had received from Abraham. He was going to pass it on to Esau, the eldest. Well, Rebecca intervenes and she grabs Jacob and she puts a plan of deceit in motion that uh, certainly has to somewhat impact Jacob. It's a doozy, people. This is what his mother helped him do. She invited him to wear the skin of an animal so that he would smell and feel like his brother Esau so he could deceive his father to get his father's blessing. Now, <laughs> 
I gotta say, right here, I'm just gonna take a little side note to tell you that as I'm in the middle of this story with Jacob and spending time with it as a new parent, I'm getting a little terrified. <laughs> I like my little simple prayers, and I'm thinking that's gonna have a great impact on my children's life. To think that I could hurt them is, or hurt their image of the great divide, you know, great divine is, is terrifying for me. So my sister was in town a couple of weeks ago and uh, she helped my little fear bubble up even more. So she comes in town and she's visiting me. Now my sister has uh, all of her kids are grown and already having kids of their own. So I'm not going to tell you whether she was an early bloomer or I was a late one. But I will say <laughs> that all her daughters are grown. And after we tucked my kids in to, uh, for rest, we got out on the patio and we were just visiting. And she was carrying the weight of wonder. She began to, to unfold stories of some of the struggles that her daughters are going through in their lives. And you could just see, she was just, you know, am I, have I done this to them? Am I, have I caused them this grief? What have I done wrong? And, and worrying about how they're, how they're doing, whether she created that. And, and after spending time with the story of Jacob, and after hearing my sister, because I gotta say to you, my sister's my icon when it comes to parenting. I've never seen such great sacrifice over the years and such great love held in the heart for her girls. So I'm going to ask that you will remind me of this 13 plus years from now. <laughs> so this is the moral of this story, I believe, before I move on with our story. You know what? Yep. We screw up our kids. And our parents screwed us up too. <laughs> it's just the fact of life. It's what we do. And you know what? It's probably not all the things that we think it is. It's not when, you know, we lose our temper, maybe spank too hard. It's probably not when we pull them off our leg that first day of school and leave them screaming. It's probably not those things at all. It's probably just like Rebecca, where we sacrifice it all for our love and grounded in our love for our children. We make a decision to do the very thing and to hope for the very thing that they would get what they most deserve, their Father's love and God's blessing. Those are the crazy things. It's just a fact of life. It's part of what we do when we transfer images to the people we love and things that happen. We hurt people and people hurt us. But this great thing that we do is called the, the love, the catch and release system of life. We love and we have to release our children, our parents, our friends, our church buddies, as we heal and grow together. So remind me of that some 13 years from now. Okay, back, so back to Jacob. This is where we find Jacob. Because at some point, what, what we have to do in this is we have to struggle to become ourselves, right? And so this is where we find Jacob. And the part of the scripture that we pick up today, he actually is now being thrown out of his home uh, really, Rebecca sends him on because the brother's pretty upset. And, um, and so he sends him on, and the birthright, um, doesn't, he doesn't get until daddy dies, and daddy's still, you know, not dead. So, so off he goes without really even a dowry in his hand, and he's instructed to go to uh, his mom's brother's land to find a wife. So here he is thrown, and now his struggle is his own. Seventy-seven years in the tent, dwelling among now he's out. And he's out and he's trying to figure out what to do. And it, as the sun set, he follows over the rock. And he lays his head down and he rests. 
And in this moment is when God breaks through. <laughs> you know, sometimes we find ourselves in places of impasse. And like Jacob, sometimes our visions of God or our images of God might be small, somewhat distorted, and maybe not even our own. Right before Jacob leaves, he's looking at Isaac and he said, yeah, you're, you're God. And so he, he hasn't even internalized God as his own. But in these liminal spaces that we have, these places of limitation, these are the exact places that we can have an aha moment, where we can have an awakening, where God can break through and we create in our own personal encounter with Emmanuel, God with us. And we fall into our own faith. It is at this time that Jacob has this dream. And in Jacob's dream, he discovers this great paradox that deeper intimacy comes exactly when intimacy itself seems impossible to attain. In this dream, he learns a new way of thinking about blessing, not something you grab or acquire through schemes and plans. It doesn't even come from being someone other than yourself. Jacob comes to recognize how his own conflicted story doesn't push God away, actually draws God near. And this conflicted story, as messy as it may seem, is used by God to bless the world. God uses all of our lives, the inescapable God. We leave our parents' tent, our handed down faith, and we enter our own personal journey with God. Jacob's journey is the same as ours. It's one of separation and transformation. When you wake up and you find yourself in relationship with the living God, things change. This is just the first step of many that Jacob has, but it's such an important one. It's so vital for us to rediscover God, for us to find our way to our own experience with this divine, this Emmanuel, this God with us. I uh, stumbled across uh, a song on Friday and the video was actually released on Friday and it was so powerful to me. It has this imagery of how we break through with some faith traditions and find our way to our own experience of God. Enjoy this video.
How can I say I know you when what I know is still so small? Let me awaken to your majesty and see a glimmer of your glory. Let me abide in you. When we wake up from our experience with God, we can create our new reality with God. C.S. Lewis was one of the best known religious writers of our day. And one of his books, which tells of his experience, his experience of coming to faith, it's titled Surprised by Joy. The movie Shadowlands tells the story of his life. One sequenced in the movie is very significant. You see, Lewis is an intellectual. His whole life seemed to be contained within the walls and traditions of this prestigious university. He knew a lot about the Christian religion and what Christian religion taught about God, but it was all pretty much at an academic level. One day, a woman named Joy Davidman came into his life. He eventually married her, and she represented to him life as other people experience it. One day, Joy saw a picture hanging on his wall. It was a landscape of a beautiful valley. She asked him where it was from. Lewis said he had never thought to ask that. He thought it was maybe simply a product of the artist's imagination. It had never occurred to him that it might be a picture of a real place. Joy investigated and found that the picture was a painting of a real valley not far from the university, and she insisted they go see it. And they did. And they experienced great beauty of the reality represented in that picture. In a similar way, many of us still have ideas about what God is and what life is supposed to be like in the Christian religion. But so many times, we just keep them as words on a page or a picture on a wall. So I, I encourage you to find ways to experience God. And even if you're going through one of those most vulnerable times, know that it's right there that God can break through that place and stand next to you. The story of Jacob is so powerful, though, I do not want us to miss this stone, this moment. Because not only are we being invited to rediscover our personal relationship, our personal encounter with God, but we're asked to rediscover the church. But you see, when he wakes up and he realizes, oh, surely God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. He marks and celebrates this moment with this rock, and he anoints it with oil, and he leaves it there. He knows that this is a place of God, and so he, he calls the sacred spot the house of God, Bethel. And he says, it's the gate of heaven. Now, he could leave this place because God promised, I will go with you, and I'll return you to this place. But indeed, it was a house of God for Jacob, a place of coming and going, a place of ascending and descending, angels, messengers of God, a place where he would feel that blessing and be the blessing of all of the earth. People of Resurrection, this is our place. This is our stone. This is our anointed ground, sacred and holy, a place where we can leave knowing that God goes with us, God is within us, but we can return because God brings us back and we can worship and we can remember the encounter of the holy and grace and the touch of God in our lives. People of resurrection, we are remembering that God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. God, 
who began a good work in Resurrection MCC will be faithful to complete it. Amen and amen.